We're now in Romans chapter 7, verse 11, but let's read verse 10 again. And this commandment, which is good and holy, the commandments of God, which result in life, proved to be unto me death. It's death for me. So he, he's talking about the man before Christ and his efforts. No matter how good he tries, there is evil and sin dwelling in his members. Uh, and so this is what he's talking about. So in verse 11, it says, for sin. Now he's talking about the principle of sin. It dwells in the old human nature. And we're not released from it. People think a Christian, because he's judged on the cross and subdued death, that it's annihilated. Well, why do we have temptation? Why are we still resisting the devil and putting down? Because it dwells there, but it does not have to rule us, and it doesn't have the power it had under the old. Okay? And so he said, when it takes opportunity through the commandment to deceive me, and through it, it killed me. So it'll use something good, the law of God, the truth of God, to reveal how wicked you are, where before it wasn't that exacting. But when you saw the truth, then you saw how, how bad it was. And that was the purpose of the law, was to be a schoolmaster, was to teach you something, to reveal more to you why you needed a savior. So sin used the law to deceive me, he says. Then it slew me or slayed me. The law was used by sin to threaten death to the sinner. How did it deceive? It drew me to disobedience, promising self-pleasures and honor and independence. Well, independence is not a good word when it comes to the Lord. It might be in a democracy, but uh-uh not with the Lord. And Adam and Eve was promised this knowledge and this stuff. And when she ate and disobeyed and Adam did with her, it brought death to them. That's what they got because it made them a sinner. And they were independent now. They weren't depending on the Lord. They were separated from him to a certain degree. And he drove them out of the garden they could not eat of the tree of life and live forever. It's implied that that kept them physically sustained forever in their body at that time. So he said, get out. You have to, you can't, you've got too much sin and I'll work with you, but you can't live in the garden again because you now have the sin principle in you. And the scripture says the angel guarded it with a sword, a cherub, a flaming sword. And that meant the sword meant death. You better not try to get back in here because holiness and wrath of God will come forth. So he's teaching them principles even then. And then he begins the plan of salvation immediately and starts to show them. But they are separated where they weren't before. And the devil thought that they sided with him now, but it was not the case. And all of a sudden, we got millions and billions of independent beings. See, the devil thought he would, it, once they fell, they would side with him. Well, they didn't do it to please the devil. He deceived them. They didn't decide to side with the devil. They were not totally depraved, regardless of what the heretic teaches. We are depraved, but even in the fallen state, man still has an image of God, and he's marred it. But he still has the capability to desire 
good and want to live right, and then there's the warfare in him. He's not capable of doing that, to live in perfectly. And God's holiness and his nature, he demands holiness and perfection, and he does not tolerate sin. And so that's why he's bringing about explaining these things. So we will see there righteous people under the law, some of them more righteous than many of the people who profess to be Christians. They live the light that they have, and a lot of professing Christians don't. And that's why you wonder sometimes if some of them are really Christians, and I doubt it. See, they think that grace frees them and gives them liberty to sin and do as they please. Well, Paul has been teaching that is not the so. When you're delivered from the world, the flesh and the devil, and the power is broken, you're not saved to be independent. You were bought with a price, and now you've got a new master again. You were under the world, flesh and the devil. So there is no neutral ground. You're either serving the Lord or you're serving the devil or the principle of sin. And so some people, oh, we have liberty in Christ. And while they're living in a gross sense, they're not in Christ. And if they were, they didn't last long. So you cannot participate in the life of the flesh and practice it and willfully do it and remain in Christ. There's where we get to the vine and the branches. If the branches don't produce the fruit of Christ and the life of Christ isn't helping them, the Father cuts them off and they're burned eventually. So let no one lie to you and think you have a liberty that you don't have. You have liberty to serve the Lord and you have liberty to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. But you don't have no license to sin. Uh, Peter said that. He said, they promise you liberty. He's talking about the greasy gracers. And the people that once saved, always saved. You can live like you want, but you're still saved. He says, they promise them liberty while they're under the bondage and pollution of sin. They're slaves. Because they're not slaves of Christ. He's telling you what they are. Okay? And he also warns you about turning away. People, we don't believe in backslide. I said, well, he said, it's better not to have known the way. And that's the way of Christ and the way of grace. He said, then to depart from it. That means you had it one time. He says, it's better that you never came to the Lord. Because your punishment and the day of judgment is going to be far greater than most sinners. Because you trampled the blood of Christ. And you were given more privileges. And too much is given, much is required. And Paul, as we keep repeating, he said to the stubborn Jews, and that implied Christians too, he said, you're supposed to repent. And God has put it up with you. And he's long-suffering. He said, but you're storing up wrath. One day God's going to measure everything you did. And if you don't come to Christ and walk in him, every idle word you're going to be punished for in eternity. He don't forget anything. He's the just one. He can't. He sees everything all the time. He talked in the prophets. He was talking to one of the enemy leaders of Israel. And I guess the prophet sent a message to him. I talked to him. He said, even though it was a Gentile, knew nothing of God and everything. God's message was, I see you come out of your tent in the morning, and I see you return. <laughs> well, if he sees every sparrow that dies, and there's billions and billions of birds bigger than sparrows, well, he sees what he sees, everything. He says everything, even in the dark, everything's light and dark to him. 
he sees what he wants to see and he sees everything. So he doesn't escape seeing sin and evil and his holiness and judgment one day will demand his wrath to come upon it. Judgment against. Wrath is the anger of God. So those that end up in hell, God gives them no mercy and no thought. They experience it. He even told the Jew, if you go to idolatry, he said, the Lord your God, he, he said, I am a consuming God. He said, I'm a jealous God. And he said, and I'll consume you. And then Hebrews says, serve the Lord acceptably, talking to Christian. He said, for our God is a consuming fire. And he's speaking of judgment there. He's not speaking of purifying. He's speaking of the wrath of God, his holiness coming out against sin, which it will always do. So Eve and Adam, they did, were not independent with all these independent people now. And that's why the majority of people don't even recognize the devil or his influence. And he really doesn't care as long as he can keep them from the Lord and deceive them. They don't say, oh, I've reject God. I will serve the devil now. No, they serve themselves. They love themselves. And the demon just helps them along a little bit. And they're deceived. That's the principle of sin, what it does to people when they don't yield to the Holy Spirit and start submitting to him. The consequences of resisting the Holy Spirit long enough is being hardened. And the end result is he'll send the demonic spirit to deceive you. See, that's the principle of the kingdom. As we say in the book of Second Thessalonians, when the Lord says when the person of the Antichrist comes, he will deceive most of the world. And he makes it plain. He said, for they love not the acknowledge of the truth. It means some of them got the truth. Or either they hadn't, didn't hear the gospel, their conscience was telling them something. And he said, because they didn't like it and submit to it. He said, God will give them over to a spirit of delusion and to lying spirit. He said, and they will be damned. Well, that's a judgment on the sinner. So many people, they're being judged now. They just don't know it. I used to ponder some of these heretics that lead many to the stray. And I used to say, well, I don't know why you don't punish them and, and they follow. And he said, well, I am punishing them. I'm deceiving them. I'm allowing them to draw out the evil like the devil does. He said, they don't want the truth. He said, they, they get the lying spirit. And Paul said, heresies must be to show who's true and who's not. So that's part of our probation that's part of our warfare, okay? So 12, verse 12 says, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good, because it's the will of God. It tells man how to live right. And he used it under the law. And he wouldn't have told them if he didn't expect them. But the law and Christ and Paul's trying to tell people you can live good to a certain degree, and God deals with you a different level. He don't expect perfection, but you can't be perfect because of the fallen nature until the Spirit comes and then He dwells with you. Then you don't have to obey its lust. You can't have to be deceived by it. He judges it on the cross, but He does not annihilate it. He judged Satan on the cross. When He said, It's finished, Satan didn't have a chance. But he keeps them around for thousands of years to test those, good and the bad. But the one day he's going to be cast into the lake of fire when the Lord's finished with him. So 
The Lord's a great economist. He can use anything. He doesn't waste anything. But the sentence hasn't been carried out. And so that's so he breaks the power of sin and death for the Christian, and he can walk in the Spirit, and he can do things that he couldn't do under the old. But God didn't require him under the old. But he wants to explain to him why the covenant can't do this old covenant what the new can. So that's what he's doing. So, well, the law is holy and the commandments holy. It's just and it's good. And so it tells the people under the law, the commands, what God expects of them, the rules, the regulations. And it knew the man could not complete them and live perfectly sinless. And so he made provision. He made sacrifice. See, So if you kept the commands, you did anything, rituals up, and you failed and you did things, then you had to go to the priest and he'd offer sacrifice. And for certain sins, you were put to death. There was no mercy offered. And so we see that. And in the new, the sin that is unforgivable, Jesus said, all manner of man's sins are forgivable. Even if they murdered and did certain things, oh, he might punish them, and they may reap the consequences, but if they're truly repentant, he can forgive them. He did not do this under the law. He said, drag them away from my altar and put them to death. He wanted the people to see the seriousness of certain sins. But in the new, he said the only one sin that's unforgivable, he said, is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's to persistently to resist him and start attributing to God what's the power of the devil. The Pharisees said that Jesus did his miracles by Beelzebub. That was another term for Satan. And that's when he brought that sin. Some of them knew that this was of God. They may not have accepted Jesus as the Son of God. They knew he was a prophet to some degree, but because of their covetousness and their jealousy, they come out and said, oh, he's doing it by the devil. Well, that was fully known, and that's when Jesus said there's never forgiveness. So the dangerous thing that some of them committed, they weren't going to be forgiven because the Spirit was not going to work repentance in them. He wasn't going to convict them. He was going to turn them over to lying spirits, and they would be damned. And that's what happened to many of the Pharisees. So it tells us that a holy God desires holy living for mankind. And he's capable, even in a fallen state. He's not totally brave like demons are. They're unrepenting. They can't be saved. They have no desire. God removed everything from them. He didn't with man. Man was marred, but he wasn't totally rejected or called depraved, and God didn't kill him right then or cast him out like he did the devil when he was a good angel, cast him out of heaven in a moment of time. So he saw a man as being redeemable, and he saw the man, and Adam was, Eve was deceived. She was tricked, but she was guilty. Adam knew what he was doing when he took the fruit, and therefore, and because he's the head, the man over the woman, it's called the son of Adam. It is not called the son of Eve. See, if he had not eaten it, perhaps the Lord could have overlooked Eve. See, we don't know how the rules apply. Perhaps he could have acted as a, a priest and God could have done something. But they did it together and God dealt with them uh, together. And it's fascinating. God asked Adam, what have you done? They're hiding from him. 
And he said, why are you hiding? He used to meet with them in the cool of the day and commune with them. And they were hiding. And they said, well, we were ashamed. We're afraid and we were naked. And the Lord said, who told you that? Well, their conscience told them that, which is inspired by God himself. And then they began to tell him why. And then Adam, feeling so bad, he said, well, the woman you gave me, she gave me something. He was blaming Eve. (laughs) He was saying she's the real instigator. And he looks at the woman and she says, oh, the devil, he did it. He deceived me and I did eat. They started blaming. It's interesting, devil didn't blame anybody, did he? He knows what he is, okay? And he was probably grinning, saying, I I succeeded. And he probably thought that God might destroy Adam and Eve and eat it like, like they were and may have cast them with the devil. And he was probably a little surprised when God started making a plan and it probably upset him. He said he's going to start to... And he didn't understand why he wasn't redeemed. There was no good, no anything in him. See, because they were so close to God as angels, they were in a relationship we can't ever touch on, and we'll never know until we enter into heaven. And then when they rebelled, God removed everything from them. They're totally depraved. They're totally locked in their sin. They're terrorized of God, the demons, and they're afraid of him. And they know they're going to judge him one day. But they have no desire for mercy. They have remorse, but they can't have repentance. Okay, so they could not live a perfect life, and this is what the Lord's showing them. And the first thing he did was slay an animal and shed blood to cover their nakedness and their shame. So he automatically started working. And then he could deal with Adam to some degree, but not like he did before, okay? So many can keep and should keep and must keep the outer law, and the, they can do it. A lot of it in their heart and stuff, it, it can be a part of them they have a hard time with. I said, but they can keep it, and if they don't, they're to make sacrifice, and they're to see that they need the covering of blood, and, and they're being taught this blood is just covering. One day there's going to be a redeemer that's going to cleanse and remove it, and that's why he shows them. And Paul showed them that the law of Moses is obsolete and it did not have the power of grace. So that's what he was showing them and teaching them. But a man may still, he may never commit adultery under the law and he was never judged. But he can be lusting all day long after his friend's wife. And so he got part of the sin entering him and him at that, and God did not judge it till it was outwardly manifested. Okay. He deals with the Christian with the M word too, but he gives the Christian the power to resist certain things, and he can, and he expects him to. So he was not outwardly judged as an adulterer, though the sin was there. Job seems to have done it, which is remarkable. No wonder he was a righteous man on earth. It said he did not allow his eyes to lust after the young maidens. He guarded his mind, and he did that under the law. Now, it didn't say that he didn't never fail, uh, but that was his lifestyle. I don't do this, practice this. And if he fell into sin, he would repent and he would do sacrifice because he sacrificed for his children when they had parties and stuff. Perhaps in their heart, he said they'd curse God. Well, because he was an exacting, righteous man, they thought he was too much probably. And when they had opportunity to experience some things, they did. 
And he knew that. He knew their corrupt nature too. He said, so I offered sacrifice and God would listen to him and wouldn't exact the punishment on them that people of the world would have gotten. So, see, we see certain grace even under the law and under conscience. So Job did it. And God said there was none like him in all the earth. He tells the devil that. He said, none. He said, like in all the earth that loves righteousness and hates iniquity. So Job could do that. But Job was not perfect. And the Lord would have to deal with those sins under the O for those who kept the law and did their best and did sacrifice and the righteous Gentiles which followed their conscience and tried to do good, and when they failed, they tried to make up for it. That was the system they were under. Okay, But when the grace comes in, those things aren't excusable anymore. He's not going to wink at it. So when a person hears the true gospel and rejects it, his conscience is not going to deliver him in the end. And God will consider him evil because he's been given the true light, and he's rejected it. So that's how the law works. So he made sacrifice, and he never said that I didn't fail or sin. But God said he's a righteous man. He's upright. None like him in all the earth. I bet you he superseded most uh, professing Christians. We know he did, and many baby Christians, young, that are learning and novices. He must have walked in a way how commendable, and he didn't even have the spirit of Christ. Okay? So he was correct, and he was considered by God not perfect. And when he was tested, his friends, I said, because you sinned and you failed. And he kept saying, I can't, I can't find nothing that I've lived and haven't. And he was right. They thought he was self-righteous, and they liked him, and they wanted to convince him, you got to deal with this because you're under God's judgment because you've been evil. That's the only way they understood it. And God told them differently when they finished. But he spends a couple of chapters reproving Job while he's in the test. But before he was tested, God said he's righteous and there's none like him in all the earth. And then he permitted him to be tested by the devil. So it was true. And so Job held to it. But then he failed, he complained and murmured, and he was sort of demanding God to give account himself, so that God didn't like that, and so he reproves him. You're entering into an area you should not. It's like, I can do what I want, and I can test you, and you're demanding me to give an account of myself. So that's what the Lord got angry with him, and reproved him, and rebuked him. And right after he does this, he turns to the three friends. And he says, you haven't spoke well of me like Job did. Can you imagine Job thinking, he's already reproved me. He said, I repent. And Ashcloth, he felt so terrible once the Lord shed the light on what he was doing, he recognized it. And then all of a sudden he looks at the three friends and says, you didn't speak of me well of me like Job did. Well, most of what Job was saying, even in his arguments, other than his accusing God and murmuring, he was right about and he said, and, and you take an offering, you go to Job, and he'll pray for you. Why? Because he was acting as a priest, too. He was like a Melchizedek, but a Gentile. And he says, and he'll pray for you, and I'll forgive you. Otherwise, I'll reward you for your wickedness. 
Boy, can you imagine? They kept their mouth shut off that, didn't they? They didn't accuse him anymore. Okay, therefore, 13, that which is good becomes the cause of death for me. And he said, oh, but let it not be. See, he wants to honor the law. and says, nothing wrong with the law, but it is being used to make me feel more guilty and put the sentence of death on me because it's righteous and holy. It cannot tolerate that because it's reflection of God. But he says, may it never be, God forbid. Rather, he said, what the real problem is is sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin, it's working death in me, and it's being magnified and through that which is good. The law is good. He said, all of a sudden, it's showing greater light on you, and now you're seeing how bad you were, and the law did that. And sin wanted it to, so it could condemn you more, okay? So through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Well, I mean, see, he would, didn't know they were that bad. They were ignorant of certain things. But the law of light and righteousness revealed that, okay? God uses the law under the old and the new, the Holy Spirit uses the principles of the law because they are him. And he convicts people of their sin. And all of a sudden, when his conviction comes, they see themselves. Some of them never saw themselves as being that bad. They excuse themselves. They say, I'm better than most people, and I do this. And that may be true. But if God answered to them, he said, well, most people you're comparing yourself with are going to hell too. So you shouldn't be comparing yourself with them. We have to compare ourselves, Paul said, with Christ. We're not to be measuring ourselves by other people. But he saw it then. The sinner sees it. Oh, I am a sinner. And then the Spirit offers them the way out. Then you need a Savior. So people are not saved until they fall under conviction. So I hear of lots of people claim to be Christians. And they never fall under conviction. Now, their exception, people raised in Christian homes and taught properly, once they see that, they may not have an overwhelming guilt, but they're enlightened by the Spirit, like Cornelius was, and he moved right into the New Covenant, like the apostles did. We have no place where they wept and cried and, and had a real big, because they were living according to the law, and then when he gave them more, they walked right into it. They didn't fight it, and so that's what we see. So Cornelius was a righteous man as a Gentile. And God recognized it and sent the angel and said, your good deeds, your good works. He was helping poor Jews and he was helping people. And he said, it's come up before God. And it's true. He wasn't a dirty sinner. He was walking in his conscience. But he said, now I'm going to give you something else. And he sends Peter. And as soon as he hears the message, they just receive it. There was no falling down repentance because they were already walking right. But he saw the higher truth. And his family, people lived with 12 of them. He said they were not only saved, they were filled with the Holy Spirit because they were already ready. They were living righteously according to their conscience. And that's what we'll find with Paul later and what his problem was, okay? So, like I say, the law, which is good, was made death for me. But it wasn't the law itself that was bad. It was the sin in me that was bad. And it wanted the law to show me how sinful I was so it could wait, produce death eventually. 
So that's what it was doing. And 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. That's the key. The law is spiritual. Now see, the law of Moses and the commandments and ceremonies has been abolished. But like we said, the Ten Commandments still stand because they're moral concepts. And you break any one of those, you can't remain in Christ because it's under the law of Christ. And I said the Christian keeps the Sabbath. We're not bound to a day. We live at a Sabbath, a time of rest. And we cease from our own labors. We're resting. But Christ works in us. So we're in a different kingdom. So we can't murder. We can't lie. We can't. You keep practicing those. And Paul says, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, you'll be cut off from the vine. So it shows you the law represents who God is, too, in his holiness and what he demands, even of those who are not perfect. Okay. For the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold unto body. He's still speaking to the Jew about his previous life, not since he's in Christ. A lot of people mix that up. A lot of heresies. Oh, you are Christian, but you have to sin every day and word, thought, deed, but it's covered. That's a lie. If you have to sin every day, thought, and day, word, and willfully, you've not been saved. You're not walking in the spirit. You're still in the flesh. And we'll get into that later. So the law is spiritual from God. But he's saying, I was carnal. I am under the law. That's what he's talking about. And it sold and bound me and a fallen nature cursed. And it drew me to sin. And she said, that's what I'm having a conflict with when I was under the law. And we got to remember, Paul was a righteous Pharisee of Pharisees. Even the high priest, which they didn't do hardly anybody, gives them special privileges to go get the Christian because they thought they were heretics and they were false. And he was righteous of the law. He said he was perfect concerning the law. Isn't that something? And the light he had, he was trying to live right. And then the Holy Spirit started working on him, and he started having problems. And the Lord, when he appears, it's just hard for you to kick against the goads. Here he's trying to kill the Christian, think he's doing right, and the Holy Spirit's trying to deal with his conscience. And finally, he appears to him, greater than the clarification of the law. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, that astounded Paul. He said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. Well, Paul immediately knew he was arresting some of the Christians and taking them back to Jerusalem to be tried and stoned to death. So Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Well, that must have been an eye-opener for him. And later on, he tells us. That's why he said, I was the chiefest of sinners. He said, and he murdered them and killed them. It was murder, but he didn't know it. See, the light had not come to him fully, properly. And he says something interesting that a lot of greasy graces like to overlook. Uh-huh. He was perfect concerning the law. And when he failed, he did sacrifice. He was righteous under the law. And even when he was doing his uh, persecuting, he still hadn't had to clear a light. And then he says, I did it ignorantly. So it was ignorant sin that the Lord exposed, like the law will. And he said, and I obtained mercy. If you read the instructions and what's being, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. God was able to see that. He said, oh, he means well, but he's wrong. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't going to kill him for selfish reasons. 
He thought he was serving me. Well, Jesus said the time will come, the disciples, he said that not only people separate from you and consider you evil, and they don't want to hang around with you. He said, but some of them will kill you thinking they're doing God a favor. Well, they did that to Jesus, and they did that to the apostles, didn't they? And there were religious people that did it, that thought they were serving God. And the Pharisees told Jesus, we weren't born of fornication. They were implying, they must have heard the story, that she slept with a man when the Holy Spirit said she didn't, and she got pregnant. Well, they were sort of insulting him. We weren't born of fornication like you. And Jesus answered him back and said, you're of your father the devil. He said, God, Jehovah's not your father. He said, you're of the devil, and you will do his work. You'll murder like he does. And they did. But see, they were still blind to it, and the sin was blinding them further. Uh-huh. And they didn't understand. They were standing before Jehovah, limited. He was the son of God. He understood. The demons recognized that even when the Pharisees, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. And he was confined in the flesh to humanity. So he did not exercise those things. But they're sitting there arguing with him, calling him a fornicator. They didn't know he was the creator too. His glory was just suspended, laid aside. Okay. So we see then the law is spiritual, yet I am carnal. I'm under the power of the law of sin and death. I'm bound by it. My fallen nature, it's in me, draws me to sin. So he's talking before Christ. Okay. For what I am doing, I do not understand. See, he don't understand. He says, a part of him wants to do good. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. So there are righteous people. There are people under the law that wanted to do good. Everybody wasn't a filthy, depraved sinner enjoying their sins. You study the Old Testament. I don't think you'll find one prophet that was called by God that wasn't living a morally upright life. He didn't call a murderer. He didn't call thieves. They were trying to walk in the light they had. That's the one he called for prophet. And that's why he called Saul. He saw the excessive zeal and what he would do. And he said, if he's doing this at ignorance, what am I going to do with him? And he excelled. And he told the other, I got more revelation than the foundation prophets. But he said, it was the grace in me. I was given more grace. So he lets you know it wasn't him, but he was faithful as a Pharisee, even if he was wrong. Okay. So he said, I would like to do good, but I am doing the very thing I hate. So they had the warfare going on. I got to be good and do this. And then sometimes sin would trap him, temptation, he would play too much and walk too close. To the, and all of a sudden, he's doing what he knows is wrong. And he knows it's sin in him, drawing him to this. So 15 says, so the person under the law, the old man, we call him, even the Christian deals with him. I am not totally depraved. I want to do good, but I have no power to do all that's required of me. And I still have sin in my members. And God sees that, and he's going to deal with it. Okay, 16, but I do the very thing I do not want to do. I agree with the law. 
I confess that the law is good. Now, this is not a wicked sinner who's totally depraved, is it? A lot of people kept the law. They failed, but like Paul, they were righteous concerning the law. They were considered by God to be righteous if they continued in its principles. That's the covenant they were under. So he's saying, I do what I hate sometimes, but I confirm and agree that the law is good. It tells me how to live and what pleases God. I just can't perform it all. There's still something else in me, a part of the fallen nature. 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it. He's still speaking under the law, not when he's a Christian, but sin which dwells in me. So it's not just me, it's the sin principle, because I delight to serve God. I have a will. I'm made in the image of God, even fallen. And so I want to do certain things. I have a will, but I cannot perform that, is what he's telling us. So I'm really willing to do good at all times. But sin dwells in me, rooted and ever-present, and it catches me off guard, and I find myself I'm doing something, and I don't realize till later that that was wrong, and that was sinful. So see, he's having this double-minded conflict. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. He's talking about the human nature, the fallen nature. And that is, he explains it, in my flesh, in the fallen nature, I'm still willing. The willingness is present in me. My, his inner man, not Christ in him, but his personality. He was capable of good and evil under the system that God put him. And God expected him to obey the commands and do what's right if he failed. So he didn't say, oh, I'll give you all these commands, but I know you can't do it anyway. So yeah, God is not foolish in dealing with people. If he tells you to do something, he expects you to do it. Or he explains some things why you can't do certain things, okay? So he says that. But doing the good, it's not there. He's talking about being totally perfected. He's not talking about some things he can do. God accepts the conscience. People under the law and stuff, they did things to make up for their failures, and God accepted that under those terms. They had to pay back four times if they stole stuff from somebody. So that was... They had to make repentance in a form. Let's take a break here.